Hey, this is Brian Alvarez, and this is today's edition of the Wrestling Observer Daily Podcast on the 8 Side Network. Live from San Francisco on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network, you are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with your hosts, Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi. Let's get it on. Let's get it. Mike Semper VV here with you for the next hour talking about professional wrestling, which is something we do every single day here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Tune in iHeart, American Forces Radio, SportsByline.com, over-the-air affiliates like KMAV and K99 KMSR, podcast replay on SiriusXM, or video streaming on Twitch or YouTube, however you're joining me today, I'd just like to say thank you. Hopefully, wherever you are, it's sunny outside, and if it's not, hopefully it's sunny inside your mind. If you're on the Delmarva Peninsula, I really hope it's sunny inside your mind because it's miserable outside. It's cold, it's wet, it's just sorry and pathetic. I don't know if that's what the weather is like where Brian Alvarez is right now. I kind of hope that he's suffering with it, unless he's with the family, but we don't know where Brian is. If you heard yesterday's show, all he said was, I'm not going to be here. You have a solo show. Deal with that. So I assume he's not at the the dentist. He went like three times in the past week or so. Uh, Who knows? You know, maybe he's out fighting Oreo right now or something. But we have to get through a show without him. And we have to talk about the WWE draft, which begins tonight on SmackDown. And there's a lot of news to get into, but that's one of the more overarching things that we're going to be getting into today. Chad Gable was on Monday Night Raw talking to Boogs, telling him, you know what, you better get drafted with your partner because you never know what could happen. Teams could split up. Managers could be, you know, disappear from the, the people that they're Apparently none of that's happening. Units are going to be drafted together. Tag teams are going to be drafted together. That's how it works. Except for one group. The bloodline is being split up. So when it comes down to this draft, I wonder if it's just going to be a backdrop at the end of the day for more bloodline stuff. But we'll see. We'll see what happens, and we'll get into all the splits going on there. A bunch of injuries that have taken place. Rampage, which is starting up in, oh, about two hours and 20 minutes or so here on the East Coast. So we're getting into all that stuff when we get back from break. Wrestling Observer Live. are listening to Wrestling Observer Live on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Back from break, Mike Semper Vivi here with you, Wrestling Observer Live. Hey, make the wrestling news part of your day. All the news that you need to know to get your day started or to get you caught up or to just get you to your favorite pod, which goes into heavy detail on what's taking place on Monday Night Raw and all those sorts of things. But if you just want the results of what happened, you just want the main stuff, find out who got hurt, find out who got buried, and then get on to work, the wrestling news is what you need to go to. Just go to wrestlingnews.com or at WrestlingNewsAV on Twitter and Facebook every day. News of the wrestling world delivered to your ears via podcast, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and between 7 and 15 minutes long. And as I mentioned, perfect way to get you caught up and get you on your way. So 
do you want to be on your way to, to Minnesota in April? Patrick Kessler, who retired in 2020 after 36 years as a political reporter in Minnesota and now serves as a special contributor for WCCO-TV and KFAN All Sports Radio in Minneapolis, tweeted on Thursday that, quote, Sources tell me that Minneapolis is a finalist city for WrestleMania 2025. This would be a huge get, end quote. Seems like 2025 and 2026 are up for grabs. The new Titans stadium that is being built in Nashville will be done in 2027, and it has long been rumored that WrestleMania will run in that venue once it opens. It is also very likely that the Super Bowl after that first Titans season will also be held there. U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis seats about 65,000 people or so for football. Uh, it's the home of the Minnesota Vikings. It hosted Super Bowl 52 in 2017, and there's a reason for that, and I'll get back to that in a second. But there has not – one thing Minneapolis has got going for it is they have been trying to get a WrestleMania for – I don't want to say a long time, but at the very least, since there was an idea that they, the Vikings were going to get out of the, the, the Metrodome and end up in U.S. Bank Stadium, like they have wanted to be a hub of events, and they did hold the Super Bowl there. Could they hold WrestleMania there? One thing they have going for them, there has not been a non-Metro New York City mania that far north since WrestleMania 22 and 23 were in Chicago and Detroit in 2006 and 2007. So they do have that going for them. But the old Metrodome hosted the Super Bowl in 1992. It was Super Bowl 26 when the then Washington Redskins just pounded the Buffalo Bills. And that 92 Washington team was incredible. 91, I think they finished 14-2. and two. They were amazing. Chipple O'Miller was in the, before the game, kicking like 70-yard field goals. Before that was like really a thing. But I remember it because all of the media, because I lived in the area at the time, all of the media hated and just beat to death the fact that it was freezing there. The low on Saturday before the Super Bowl, was without the wind chill. I believe it was negative 14, and they hated it. And that was one of the last times you had a Super Bowl, you know, up that far. They didn't even want to hold the Super Bowl in New York when they opened up that stadium, but they ended up doing it there. Now, in April, it's obviously a little bit warmer. You know, it, it tends to be in the upper 50s or at least in the mid-50s. The lows are still in the 30s, usually at that time of year, but there's always the possibility that you could get a huge snowfall that could happen. And granted, that could happen in Philadelphia next year because of its location. But usually there's a reason that they don't like holding events in northern cities during that time of year. And that's one of the reasons why. It's a big getaway for people. Obviously, the media people are going to complain and whine and, and, and bitch and moan about it. No surprise there. But... Again, I get it that you would rather have it in a Phoenix or an Atlanta or a Miami or a Los Angeles, and that's what Minnesota has really working against it. Now, they 
and another thing, unfortunately, for Minnesota, too, what they have working against it, and granted, 2025, 2026, you know, they seem to be up for grabs, but New Orleans hasn't had a WrestleMania since 2018. The Bay Area hasn't had one since 2015. And the Super Bowl is apparently looking to go back to SoFi in a couple of years. Atlanta was 2011. And, God, you go to 2026, it's like, okay, 15 years since Atlanta, which was a great, you know, great hub for a lot of different reasons. You know, holding the WrestleMania, Phoenix 2010, Houston 2009, Miami was 2012, so that was going back a little bit. But you did have Orlando and Tampa holding uh, during the pandemic in, in 2020 and 2021 there. So Allegiant Stadium from Las Vegas is obviously probably going to be in the mix as well, too. They're holding the Super Bowl this year. So, you know, Minnesota really wants to get this, and they may have to pony up possibly the biggest money offer to do so because, again, it's just Minneapolis, great airport, again, great city, it's just, again, in April, is that where you want to hold your biggest event, a la the Super Bowl or something like that? So best of luck to them and best of luck for all the fans that are up there that are, are pining for this and have wanted this for quite some time. Got a couple of injuries we'll get into before we get into the, the draft and everything that, thing that's taking place this weekend. Reigning MLW champion Alexander Hammerstone revealed on Twitter Friday that he's recovering from a torn adductor. And if you, you go to Wikipedia, like we all do for our medical advice, an adductor tear is a, caused by a groin strain resulting from a sudden muscle contraction such, such that which might accompany a quick change in direction, like pivoting or a rapid acceleration like sprinting. This overstretch, uh, this can overstretch or tear the muscles. Look, Lane Johnson of the Philadelphia Eagles had a torn adductor that he played the Super Bowl with this year and then had surgery for it afterwards. Uh, you know, not tears, but strains or something that are often pop up when it comes to Major League Baseball pitchers. You hear a lot about it with them. It's assumed Hammerstone suffered the injury during uh, April 6th's War Chamber match in which he had to leave early. Uh, Hammerstone was able to work a match against Mr. Thomas, a.k.a. Thomas Sharp, a.k.a. Blaster McMassive. Uh, for an MLW on reels uh, taping two days later, but he has not wrestled since. He's 32-year-old Hammerstone said he'll be cleared and should be able to start taking bookings beginning the weekend of May 12th. So put one more on the disabled list. You can also put now Commander, apparently, on the injured reserve as well, as he may have suffered an injury on a demand Lucha show. And this is... Uh, was posted up a little bit before the show by Ian Carey on the front page of the WrestlingObserver.com website. Post-Wrestling's John Pollock was in attendance uh, for the show and said that Commander, who was facing Gringo, Loco, and Aries in a three-way main event in Toronto's Parkdale Hall on Thursday evening, uh, he said that Commander appeared to be favoring his knee after a moonsault. He was taken to the back and did not return. Uh, it's also posted on here that a Reddit user who says they were also at the show posted that Commander attempted to return to the match but was limping badly and was not able to continue. Demand Lucha had actually announced on April 10th that an, quote, unforeseen travel complication, end quote, would prevent Commander from traveling to Canada for the show. Does that sound like a visa issue? I don't know. However, as the main event between Gringo Loco and Aries was about to start made a surprise appearance and the match was made a three-way 
As everybody probably knows by this point, Tony Khan announced on April 19th that Commander had signed with AEW, took place after his match with Jay White on Dynamite. I uh, wasn't sure if it was that night or early uh, the next morning. Uh, Commander was announced as official and a part of AEW, and unfortunately right now... <laughs> Hopefully he is not banged up too bad. Hopefully the knee uh, has got some structural integrity left there, and uh, hopefully he's not going to be out for too long. But, you know, you chalk those names up to the the battery of names out of NXT. Uh, Saul Ruka and Indy Hartwell and Grayson Waller and, again, a, a bunch of, of names uh, that are part of the PC and, you know, who haven't been on TV for a while who are recovering from injuries. So tough time going on right now but we'll get into the draft rampage and so much more when we get back from break wrestling observer live two seven eight seventeen thirty eight You are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Back on the show, Mike Sempervivi here with you, Wrestling Observer Live. The big boss man, Brian Alvarez, will be back with me on Monday. At least I assume he's going to be back with me on Monday. If you can't wait that long, I'm sure he and Dave are going to have a show coming up at some point over this weekend, probably on Sunday night into Monday morning. Why? Because Dave is going to be doing Wrestling Observer Radio with Garrett Gonzalez sometime late tonight, Friday night. Should be up for all uh, listeners early, early Saturday morning. If you're a listener to this show and this show only, well, thank you for that. Jim Valley is going to reward you with a show tomorrow, as always, on Saturdays, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 a.m. Eastern Time. And then on Sunday, Wrestling Observer Live will be back with Andrew Zarian at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. I just saw this right before it came back up. Zack Sabre Jr., uh, as many of you know, or at least some of you know, has been booked for a Game Changer wrestling show in Los Angeles on June 17th at the Ukrainian Cultural Center. They have found an opponent for Zack Sabre Jr. An obvious uh, meshing of styles here as ZSJ will be facing off against Nick Gage. So Zack Sabre Jr., and Nick Gage, and and for all of you out there that thought, oh my God, you saw Zack Saber in there with Filthy, and you were worried about you know Zack's face then. Well, you know Filthy, I know he had a toothbrush in his uh, his his knee pad there, I believe it was in in, in Philadelphia uh, before their their six man tag team match at the uh, New Japan Strong Show, but Pizza Cutter. Eh, that's probably going to be pretty new for Zack Sabre Jr. So that's coming up on June 17th. Certainly is going to be a match that is going to get people talking just because they're going to want to see this clashing of styles. So that's uh, that's certainly something. Also certainly something, of course, is WWE SmackDown tonight from the American Bank Center in Corpus Christi, Texas. 
We have a couple of things besides the draft announced for the show. Not much. Zelina Vega will be taking on Sonya Deville, which, of course, is leading into Vega's match uh, with SmackDown for now women's champion Rhea Ripley coming up at Backlash. Also tonight, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn against the Usos in a WrestleMania rematch for the, as of now, undisputed World Tag Team titles. Could we see a splitting of those? It's very, very possible. And the draft, in which something has changed in the last couple of days. Teams are drafted together. Managers are going to be drafted with their clients. Full units will be drafted together with the one glowing exception of the bloodline. And apparently, Teddy Long has been booked for both tonight and Monday. Uh, Fightful, a little bit earlier on, noted that WWE has reached out to legends and, and, and former, I guess, you know, former wrestlers and, and whatever, uh, so they could give cameos and give their thoughts on, on some of the draft picks as well. And they have split the groups, as they usually do this sort of thing, into people that could be drafted tonight and people that will have to be drafted on Raw on Monday. And the bloodline is listed as being eligible for draft tonight, but it only lists Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. Not the Usos. The Usos will be available for draft come Monday. Now, does that mean that they are being broken up and they will not remain on the same brand? No, they could absolutely still remain on the same brand. But it is notable that that is the only faction that seems to be split. And I will go through the names of who is going to be eligible tonight. Also on the men's side, Bobby Lashley, Cody Rhodes, Dexter Loomis, Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, Edge, Matt Riddle, Mustafa Ali, Omas with MVP, Shinsuke Nakamura, The Miz, The Street Profits, and The Viking Raiders, Eric and Ivar with Valhalla. Women, Raw for now, women's champion Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, Candice LeRae, Chelsea Green, and Sonya Deville as a group. Damage Control, Bailey, EO Sky, and Dakota Kai as a unit, Lacey Evans and Natalia. Stables available to be drafted tonight. Hit Row, which is Top Dollar, Ashante, The Adonis, and B Fab. Imperium, Gunther, Ludwig Kaiser, and Giovanni Vinci. Maximum Male Models, Mace Mansoor and Maxine Dupree. And the OC, still listed in this form as a group. AJ Styles, Luke Gallows, Carl Anderson, and Meechin, as well as select NXT superstars with, of course, no names given there. So that is who's eligible to be drafted on night one. How this has worked in the past, if you just climbed from under a rock and, and heard about the WWE having drafts every once in a while, they will go through a bunch of names tonight. They may go to Peacock afterwards and have a post-match uh, deal or a post-show deal where people are continued, to, you know, the draft continues uh, that way. On social media, they have announced picks well into the night, and they've actually changed picks and flopped them back and forth after a couple of days, but uh, we'll see what happens tonight. But that's what they have set up for the draft, and that is going to, of course, dominate the show with the exception of 
the tag team title match, and I'm interested to, to see how much time that actually gets tonight as well, too, because do they do the draft and then have the match? Because I think you'd be ripping people off if this didn't go for about a half hour, you know, go for a couple segments to close the show. Are they going to get the draft out of the way early? Are they going to be cute with it and have, you know, a, a match take place? And then, oh, yeah, hey, player, Teddy Long comes out and then announces somebody gets drafted somewhere don't know how it's going to go down. We may hear some more as things get close. Just keep your eye on WrestlingObserver.com or at, at WONF4W on Twitter and at Dave Meltzer. And if, if there's any tips or anything like that to come out, I'm sure they're going to have them there. Also tonight, or should I say this afternoon, Rampage. Once again, shifted out of its time slot. Uh, today it's going to be aired at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 3.30 p.m. Pacific, no staggered feed. So if you're listening to the West Coast replay of this show, I hope you set your DVR. This is all leading into TNT's coverage tonight of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Here is your no-spoilers lineup for the show. After Dynamite, Kenny Omega cut a promo in the ring to Tony Khan as everybody was tending to a bloody Kanosuke Takeshita asking for a cage match against John Moxley. So on Twitter earlier on, AEW tweeted out a video that was posted of the Blackpool Combat Club talking smack on Takeshita, talking smack on Kenny Omega, and it's got the caption, Will Tony Khan sanction an Omega versus Moxley cage match? And if so, where and when will it take place? Find out soon tonight on Rampage. And I'm sure we're going to get some segments announced for this Wednesday's Dynamite as well. Sean Spears and Ricky Starks will face Bullet Club Gold, Jay White and Juice Robinson. Jay Lethal against Cash Wheeler with Mark Briscoe as the special ringside enforcer. No spoilers here, but Dustin Rhodes and Keith Lee against Freddie Pierce and Cha-Cha Charlie. I know who my money's on. Anna Jay against Ashley Demois and the acclaimed and Billy Gunn wrestle three dudes. It's, it was a guy and with two other guys. And again, no spoilers here, but I'm, I'm assuming the acclaimed and, and Billy Gunn come out on top of that one. So next week, Rampage runs into the same thing. And this may be it for a while when it comes to preempting Rampage. Uh, it's going to air at 5.30 p.m. next week, again, without a staggered feed. So those on the West Coast, you're going to be getting in at 2.30. And once again, that is because of hockey. Now, Rampage is going to continue to exist no matter what AEW does on Saturday. At least that's uh, according to Dave Meltzer in this week's Wrestling Observer Newsletter, who said the TNT will continue to air Rampage on Friday nights for one hour. He wrote that as a part of a story he did on CM Punk and another major name expected to be a part of the new show, rumored to be called AEW Collision. The first episode of the planned Saturday night show, while not officially announced, is believed to be taking place June 17th at Chicago's United Center. And in today's Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer wrote, quote, The show believed to be called AEW Collision as noted last week is expected to debut on June 17th with a show from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern from the United Center in Chicago, which would also be the return of CM Punk along with what is expected to be another major name debut or return. Hmm. Well, 
I doubt it's going to be Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, or Hangman Page. And I'm not sure who's out there that could return. Could it be Miro? Haven't seen him for a while. Could it be Eddie Kingston, who's kind of disappeared? I know he's been doing his thing in Ring of Honor, but could he be one of those guys? Seems like CM Punk is going to be on that show. FTR is going to be on that show. Rumors about Chris Jericho being on that show. Dave wrote about that, saying that Chris Jericho is is probably a, a good choice because Punk is going to need a strong opponent. And maybe that uh, was talked about during the meeting that they had on April 21st where they were mending fences with each other. So we'll have to see what happens there. But, again, I'm not sure who could come in from the outside. You had Jay White already come in. I'm not sure who else is kind of lingering out there. But as far as names we haven't seen in AEW for a while, you know, there, there's plenty, including the two I mentioned with Miro and Eddie Kingston, who, frankly, would probably be a nice addition if you're going to have CM Punk and FTR and Chris Jericho on there. It's a nice little nucleus to start off with. But... We'll have to see how it goes. Got a commercial, obviously, coming up right now. When we get back, even more news from the Canvas Mat. Mike Sempervivi, Wrestling Observer Live. You are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Back on the show, Mike Sempervivi here with you, Wrestling Observer Live. It was pointed out to me during the break that uh, Eddie Kingston, hernia surgery, announced that a couple of weeks ago. I completely forgot about that. Now, I don't know if he's gotten the surgery or not. Maybe, uh, again, I, I don't know if he it's something that he could put off, you know, for a little while or something like that. But if he's going in for surgery, you know, he's going to be out for at least a couple of months. So, takes his name out of that mix. I wouldn't think we'd be seeing Andrade back. I would hope. I think for everybody's sake uh, that Andrade probably shouldn't come back. You know, Miro is there. You know, Miro's a name that has not been there for a while who could come back. And again, you know, this is taking away all of the things that they could do with, say, like somebody like The Firm. If you want to redo The Firm and get serious about it and try to repackage it and make it more than what it is, you know, show like this, a situation like this could be a, a good way to do it. Samoa Joe, obviously he is tied up with Ring of Honor. Would he be a smart person to have on that Saturday show? We haven't seen Pac in a long time. You know, I would love to see Pac back in the mix. You know, could could that be it? I don't know. I don't know what it could be and who could come back, but... We'll have to see how all that goes. Like I said, this is going to be a story that is going to be unavoidable for for a long time. It's just going to continue. Oh, it's going to be brutal. What's also going to be brutal, too, is going to be the ratings comparisons that take place. And I'll use that as a, a way to get into this Wednesday's rating on Dynamite because it's a small thing, but it's it's you see the way that people are about ratings anyway. It's why we have to report ratings if you don't report them people then bitch and moan and say well why didn't you report them you know it's so here we go AEW dynamite on wednesday night averaged nine hundred and sixty-three thousand viewers on tbs up four percent from last week i mean this show on saturday is gonna have a ton of competition in the fall and i am and yes i am a football fan so i am a very tunnel vision on 
especially Southeastern Conference football, you know, and that's what dominates Saturday. And it is it is going to be interesting. This this also, much like Rampage, this feels to me like it's a DVR show. Unless it happens to be live and leading into something important that weekend, either that night or Sunday, I don't care who's on it. I don't care if it's Punk and FTR. I don't care if it starts at a million people. I could see that number getting down at least at least to where Rampage is every week or at least to where Dynamite is every week and probably a lot lower because of the competition. They are going to really need to hammer this thing home as a must-see show week after week after week this summer. And we'll see if they're going to be able to do it. But again, you know, the the what will come from having the split rosters is going to be a lot of people comparing ratings and Again, if I'm on the Saturday show, I don't think I want anybody to to hyper focus on anything that has to do with ratings because I think it's just going to be it's going to be really difficult. But back to Dynamite on Wednesday in the 18 to 49 year old demo. Dynamite finished ninth on cable with a .28 rating, some same number as the last two weeks, tied for the show's lowest rating in the 18 to 49 demo since March 15th. Four NBA playoff games took place on Wednesday night. Dynamite went head-to-head with NBA coverage in both the East and West Coast time zones. There were also two NHL playoff games. Programming related to the NBA and NHL took seven of the top nine spots on the cable charts with Vanderpump Rules being the only non-sports show to finish ahead of Dynamite. Golden State against Sacramento, which started on TNT at 10, was the top-rated show on all of cable TV. The second-highest-rated show, the Lakers against Memphis, which came on TNT at 7.30. So they died by the the hands of their their brother network there with TNT. But a lot of people will will jump on the ratings and go, oh, Dynamite didn't do this or didn't do that. TNT and Turner doesn't care about that. WBD doesn't care about that. What they like to do when you're in a suit and in a corporate office is go, look what we did for tonight with these channels that we own. Look how we dominated. And they throw dynamite into that mix when it comes to basketball. So, you know, I'm sure everybody's going to have say what they're going to say about ratings. So you can go ahead and have at it. I'm going to move on to New Japan Strong. Yeah, New Japan Strong. Get used to it. It's a brand. The women's championship is being created for, I guess, New Japan shows outside of Japan. Kind of thought that that's what the IWGP championship would be for, but New Japan Strong, they added tag titles. They're now going to have a women's championship as well. New Japan announced this on Thursday, uh, said they'll be holding a one-night four-person tournament to crown the first champion. And Mercedes Monet, Monet will face off against CMLL's Stephanie Vacher with the winner of that match facing the winner of Willow Nightingale and Stardom's Momo Kogo. Uh, that's going to be taking place in Long Beach at the Resurgence event. And if you watch the post-match uh, presser with Mercedes after the Stardom show, after she lost the IWGP World Women's title to Mayu Iwatani, uh, you'll know she already stated that she was going to be on her way to Long Beach. New Japan made that official on Monday and then went ahead and announced this deal for the, the strong uh, championship. And Dave Meltzer uh, noted this today in the newsletter. 
Iwatani, this is quote, quote, Iwatani was supposed to be the first champion, meaning the first IWGP World Women's Champion, but she lost to Kyrie because she wanted a raise to go to the U.S. as often as the champion was originally scheduled to. That's why she wasn't the first champion, but she ended up coming to a resolution of money when Kyrie was champion and Iwatani did agree to do the U.S. travel and got the title. But now they are creating a second title for the U.S. market, presumably for Monet, end quote. Hmm, okay. IWGP U.S. Championship number one contenders match is also on the show. Will Ospreay against Hiroshi Tanahashi. If Tanahashi can make it with the rib injury he had, I assume he's going to. The winner moves on to face Lance Archer. Uh, those two will wrestle on June 4th in Osaka. Whoever wins that match faces uh, Archer. Whoever wins that moves on to face the IWGP United States champion Kenny Omega at Forbidden Door 2 on June 25th in Toronto. So... There are still a ton of tickets apparently left for this Long Beach show, which, you know, you're going to have to get on the stick here soon as far as announcing something or getting something going. Yes, you're still a month away, and it's not like it's a massive building to fill or anything like that, but I went to New Japan's you know, website, and Ringside A, still available, $299 tickets, still there. Ringside B, $199. Arena A, $99. And then everything from $25 to $79 is still up for grabs there. So you have Mercedes Monet announced on this show. You have you have Kenny Omega, or I'm sorry, you have Will Ospreay announced on this show with Hiroshi Tanahashi. So I don't know what, what's going to get things moving here as far as advanced tickets go. Maybe it's all going to be a walk-up sort of thing, but they seems like to me they, they may need to kind of like, you know, jog people's attentions here. I thought kind of the same way about Washington where they ended up with, I think they announced 2179, which was still like 500 down from what they had there and what they had announced in 2022. And, you know, this year it was taking place, you know, the Cherry Blossom Festival was going on and everything. And, you know, they, they still was sluggish getting, you know, a crowd for that show. So Philadelphia, you didn't have that concern. They were at the 2300 arena. So it was less than a thousand people and they packed them all in there. And so again, Long Beach, not sure what's going to get things shaken there, but something's going to have to. A card may actually help with that as well, too. At least announcing some other names that are going to be there. They have not done really any of that. So I know they have big shows coming up on May 4th. They have a lot of stuff going on, but they may need to start throwing some names up against the wall here pretty soon if tickets don't start moving. New Japan also announced that this year's uh, best of the Super Junior Tournament, it's the 30th annual, is going to run from May 12th to May 28th. 20 men split into two blocks. They've announced everybody that's going to be in. Block A, Kushida, Raisuke Taguchi, Leo Rush, Doki, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, Hiromu Takahashi, Titan, TJP, Taiji, Shimori, Show, and Speedball. Mike Bailey representing Impact. is That's going to be Block A. Block B, El Desperado, Yo, Master Wato, Kevin Knight, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Bushi, Robbie Eagles, Francesco Akira, Dan Maloney from Rev Pro, who's now a member of the United Empire, and, of course, new Bullet Club member Clark Connors. So... Good lineup. You have those names uh, going at each other. You know it's going to be good. Who will win? 
Hopefully not Romu Takahashi. He's won the last three and four of the last five. And this is amazing, but there has not been a winner not named Hiromu or Osprey or Kushida in over a decade. It's been a decade since we had one name that was not theirs, and it was Ricochet in 2014. And he was probably the biggest surprise to win the tournament since, you know, I don't know when, and I can't. I can't remember if the injury to Alex Shelley during that tournament had something to do with that, if it was going to be Shelley and Kushida, teammates facing off in the finals, or maybe Ricochet was going to be the one to win it. I don't know. But, you know, that was the last time really something different happened. You know, Koji Kanemoto won it in 2009 when he beat uh, Prince Devitt, Finn Balor. But even Kanemoto at that time was kind of, they were doing a resurgence thing with him in that moment. So, Again, they're they're just there are very as great as the wrestling is. There are just not big surprises, and I hope we get that. We've gotten that from New Japan this year. You know, they they have not gone with a pat hand for the most part. They've made some moves, whether you like all of them or not. But you know, putting guys like Clark Connors with groups, they've you know ascended David Finley to a certain point. They again, there there's a lot going on right now, which is you know defied the norms a little bit, but. Can they do anything with this junior heavyweight tournament? I hope they can. You know, I would love to see Leo Rush win the thing. I would love to see Leo Rush win the thing. I would love to see him face off against, you know, Desperado in the final. I think that would be awesome. But somebody's got to to get over on Hiromu Takahashi here, not only to do something different with the tournament, but also to give him an opponent. Because I would assume whoever wins this thing, unless it's him, you know, it's he's going to actually have to defend against that person. So, you know, I wish they would do something here. I love Hiromu. I think he's great. But when you look at the amount of talent that they have, I mean, that Robbie Eagles match, Robbie Eagles had a – he had a – good run with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship when he had it. It was just, again, timing, you know, was not his friend when it came to that. But, you know, Leo Rush with that title would be great. Now, and again, I'm not, you know, saying that TJP, you know, there's other people I like more than TJP. But now that the belt's off of him, you could put the belt on TJP. At least it'd be a smarmy prick, you know, to have a baby face, you know, bump up against and go after you could go with show or yo, you know, I, I kind of hope they don't go in that direction. But, you know, again, do something different throughout this tournament. Do something to spice things up. I would love that for the junior heavyweight division over there. And I do want to mention before we get out of here, too, that Don Luce, uh, who's been often referred to as the godfather of pro wrestling results, passed away on Monday, reportedly from a heart ailment in his hometown of Buffalo at the age of 84 years old. Uh, Luce was known uh, among historians for compiling extensive and more importantly than that, accurate, carefully researched match results for decades. And a lot of people go, oh, what does it matter? The, the accuracy matters. And as you go back and you, you do your own research on things, you find out how many results that people have taken are wrong. And he was one of the guys that really did his work to to bring history to the forefront, be accurate with results, and be accurate with stories so the generations that come behind him will be able to get what really happened and not what just a promoter or a wrestler remembered. We'll be back, Wrestling Observer Live.
You are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Back on the show, Mike Sempervivi, Wrestling Observer Live. You know, I mentioned Don Luce there at the uh, Don Luce at the end of the last segment there, and uh, said you can all you know, solve one mystery. There's always something else that takes its place. Luce explained to the CAC crowd in 2018 when he received the James C. Melby Historian Award from the Cauliflower Alley Club. What gets me is there is so much BS from these promoters in solving what was the truth. And uh, what the truth is was really interesting. And in addition to wrestling, uh, Don was an accomplished baseball historian and served in the National Guard. And in the last, you know, couple of years, we've lost now Don Luce, Jim Melby, J. Michael Kenyon, Clawmaster Jim Zardani. And I know these are names that a lot of you don't know uh, or are unfamiliar with. And you don't have to know them, but know that a lot of the research, when you do read things online, when you read books, when you see, it's not, it's because of the work that these guys have, have done. And Greg Oliver, Tom Burke, George Shire, Brian Solomon, Mike Mooneyham, Mark Hewitt, Steve Yohei, Koji Miyamoto, Al Getz, Tim Hornbaker, Dick Bourne, Matt Farmer, Cubs fan, Scott Teal, and I could go on and on and on and on and on. Those people deserve recognition for what they do and their preserving of history, their research of history, cleaning up so many mistakes from history. I mean, what Al Getz does on a daily basis and bringing new analytics into results collection and how to look at how territories were run and how guys – it's just, it's great, and it's a very nerdy thing, but you know what? It's a very important thing. You know, you don't see too many rich uh, historians out there. You don't see a, a whole lot of uh, rich archaeologists, you know, for the most part. They're out there grinding and doing the work so that somebody else can benefit from it, and so we can all benefit from it as we go down the line. But, hey, I want to thank everybody out there. Not sure who was on the video today, but I thank producer Daniel very much. I thank all of you for watching and listening in today. My name is Mike Sempervivi, Wrestling Observer Live. I shall talk to you again after a while. You have been listening to the Wrestling Observer Daily Podcast on the 8Side Network.